Thanks for tuning in to our bonus episode preview. This is just a short sample of this week's exclusive Patreon episode. You can hear the episode in its entirety by becoming a member at patreon.com slash indoctrination, where you'll gain access to all of our exclusive episodes and merchandise. I am so happy to have Joe Kelly on the show. You are someone who I've known for many years, and you're also someone who has a certain way of working with people that I want to make sure to talk about. You were on the show right at the beginning, a couple of years ago, which was wonderful, talking about your own personal experiences. So maybe we'll start with that, just to reorient people to who you are and the fact that you are a former member of a couple of things and what you do now. So go for it. Yeah. So um, my name's Joe Kelly, and I have been working in the field of cold education for 32 years now. And I've had the honor of working with many families and individuals who are struggling with the issues around being influenced um, from one-on-one situations, which are maybe considered abusive relationships. But some of them even had a spiritual or religious dimension, even though they appeared to be just an abusive relationship. And the information that was given to the person who was being victimized had something to do with some form of spirituality, which locked them in even more deeply, if you will, to the relationship and committed to the ideology that was being put forward by the perpetrator, which is an interesting you know, thing that most people don't think about. They see somebody who's abusive, they think they're just evil and hurting their loved one, yet they don't consider that there may be something underneath that that's keeping the person there beyond their ability to see clear of what's going on to them. And then we we look at groups, you know, we look at the kind of group I was involved in. I was involved in two groups over the course of 11 years. Uh, I was involved in Transcendental Meditation, and it was my opening to the whole world of Eastern spirituality. I happened to be walking down the street one day. I was uh, in my first year of college. I was going to the library to do research on one of my papers, and there on a telephone pole was a poster of Maharishi Mahesh Yogi. I got to the library and funnily enough, on the rack that said bestsellers, read these today, most popular was a book by a man named Jack Form called Transcendental Meditation. And I picked that book up. I read it in one sitting and it convinced me that there was something there that I should explore. Two weeks later, I went to the local TM center and was initiated into the practice of transcendental meditation. Transcendental meditation was not presented as one of these otherworldly experiences. It was practiced by doctors, lawyers, Indian chiefs, and students, many students. There was a, a large number of young people who were getting involved as a result of the Maharishi Mahesh Yogi being the Beatles guru. Little did I know at that time that the song Sexy Sadie by the Beatles would have, would be written about Maharishi Mahesh Yogi. So it, it's interesting how their perspective in the six months they were involved 
And because he was known as a Beatles guru, the fact that they were only really with him for six months was something that no one really knew. They had found out what they thought he was probably all about. He was all about fame and fortune and young women. And along with the Beatles' influence came that influence of the Maharishi into the lives of many young people at that time. So he's introduced to the ideas of karma, maya, which means illusion. I was introduced to a new experience, unlike anything that I had experienced up to that point. It was unique. I had been smoking a lot of pot in my junior and senior year of high school. And by the time I was in my first year of college, I began to recognize that this was not helpful to me as far as expanding my consciousness and making me a more intelligent, healthy person. I felt that it was limiting me. And I began to look at that as being something that was more of a millstone around my neck, as opposed to an adjunct to my, my experiences. And many of my friends were still smoking a lot of pot, drinking a bit. It was 70s. It was a part of the culture. And, and when I went to the TM Center, I met all these people who weren't drinking, who weren't smoking pot any longer, who had given up these bad habits and were pursuing something that was purported to bring about peace for all of mankind. So it wasn't just that we were going to help ourselves. It was that we were going to be able to change the world. And that was a big part of the appeal for me. They, in the back of the book, as I read it, there were some preliminary studies which pointed to the idea that possibly if 10% of the population of the world did transcendental meditation, it would do away with the possibility of war arising in any country. So I had attended some socialist worker party meetings. I had, you know, gone to some other prayer retreats that were kind of uh, the Jesus people version of Christianity, which was all about, you know, banging on your guitars and shouting your love of Jesus and, you know, running into the ocean to be baptized. It's kind of wild stuff. And, you know, standing around, linking arms and preaching and calling out to Jesus to help them see clear of their problems. That seemed a bit much for me. But the idea of going and peacefully getting in touch with yourself, that appealed to me. And when I was there, I met people who, who had worked in Nixon's administration as diplomats. So here was this young kid, I was 19 years old, and I was meeting individuals who had achieved something in their life. So they weren't flakes. And that appealed to me. So at first, it appealed to that part of the community that wanted to improve themselves. There seemed to be scientific validation. There were some preliminary studies about blood pressure going down, grades going up, those kinds of things. And yet, the longer I became involved, the more I began to see the inconsistencies in the group. The big glaring red flag that was thrown up to us was that we were originally taught that this simple, natural 20-minute, twice-a-day uh, experience would be all we would need to reach a state called enlightenment. And that meant that you would have 100% of material gain in life and 100% spiritual. The, living the 200% of life. So it was a handy dandy process that, you know, not only would give you individual peace, 
And you would be able to spread that throughout your community just by vibing the good vibes out to others. But you would also be able to achieve more on your own, which meant that it wasn't that you needed to go into the forest, give away all of your belongings and live the life of a monk. This was engagement in the world and in a way that would allow you to experience material wealth. So it, it almost was a Hindu version of the Christian prosperity gospel. You know, that there is that element within Christianity that if you give so much to the church, a certain percentage, you will then get back a hundredfold. And so this was the Hindu version of that. Yet that, that had not been made clear. The more you practiced, the greater the gains, the fewer outside people you would be with as time went on. And it became more and more of an exclusive group. And it wasn't everyone who dipped themselves into the waters of transcendental meditation that had this experience. There were certain of us who wanted to really live the lifestyle of the TM community. And we, a group of us, established a community within South Philadelphia. We were instructed to go into marginal neighborhoods or advised or it, it wasn't you know, required. But if you wanted to live the full meaning of transcendental meditation, you would meditate together, stay in community with other meditators and spread their word throughout the community. And that's that's what we did. We ended up moving into uh, a dead end street, which, you know, I can say today is now called a cul-de-sac. But it, it was really just a dead end street. My neighbors who live there now call it the cul-de-sac. Because <laughs> of the way it began. <laughs> and and so we we all came together and, and began this community. We bought houses inexpensively. So there was this kind of encouragement to help one another. And that sense of community was really profound. But if you deviated from the script, if you violated the rules, you were not permitted to go on to the next course. And the next course could be that course where you achieve the higher states of, of human development. So the fear was underneath all of that, that message of peace, love, and happiness, and living in community with others who shared your goals. They would also snitch on you. So if you were due to go on the next course, which was always presented, it was more expensive. They up the ante, the amount of practice you would need to do would be increased, and you would be absorbing only TM doctrine in that setting. And you were told that the path is a razor's edge, and that if you deviate from that path, meaning uh, if you look at other systems of development, if you are interested even in, in individual therapy along the way, because there were people who were, would experience depression and other things that was it was promised that TM would, would be able to take you further than any stirring the mud up of the mystical state, which was higher and preferred. What began to happen was that I became invested in the idea of the guru as God-man, the guru as an individual who had your best interests at heart. And even though in the case of the Maharishi, he was a remote figure when the disciple is ready, the teacher comes. So I thought that I was, in, I had been delivered this 
all of my life's experiences have led me to this moment where I was now with the group of people that were going to support me into this higher state of consciousness. Little did I know that there was also a group of people who were a part of this group who had invited a, an Indian Swami into the community. And his name was Swami Prakashanan Saraswati. So I was involved with PM for nine years and involved with Swami Prakashanan Saraswati for five more years. And the two paths, while related, both related to the Eastern tradition, couldn't have been more different. The Swami was there. He was right there with me. He was guiding my every movement. He could advise me on business decisions. So I had my own business with two other transcendental meditators, one of whom had switched over to the Swami and one who remained in the TM camp. And he's my colleague and partner, Pat Ryan, who some of you may have heard of. He was the other holdout. And he watched me descend into group number two, which was very much the frying pan. So you go from the frying pan into the fire. And Swamiji was certainly the fire. It was a baptism of blood in many ways, in that everything was meant to be given over. Mm-hmm. 